Would you open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 Samuel chapter 30 and Psalm 22, Psalm 22. We have an in-between Sunday this week, I'm not teaching on a series right now and I enjoy these Sundays because uh, you know, when I teach in a series, I plan out ahead what, you know, what the message, at least the theme will be, and then the Lord stirs my heart. Uh, these Sundays where uh, I get to just wait on Him and, and, and hear from His heart what He'd like to speak, maybe just a, a one-thought kind of message, and He stirred something up in my heart, actually up at camp with the, the team that we're leading with the activities. We have a team of about eight or ten people, I think we have ten people this week that are serving with us in everyday uh, we're spending time in the Word together, doing devotions, and really enjoying our time together. And, and in the midst of our devotions, the Lord took me to a passage in the book of 1 Samuel here that I, I just really want to share with you this morning, and I, I hope it brings some encouragement to you. Um, just as a, a side note, as I'm sharing this, you'll, you'll notice there's, uh, there, there's a theme here that's actually leading into what my next series will be, which is starting next Sunday. I had mentioned last Sunday that we are uh, going to be starting the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course uh, here uh, at New Community starting August 4th. It's a Thursday night and it goes for eight weeks. And I want to encourage you to sign up and be a part of it. We have information flyers on the back table. Uh, there's information available on the events, app, uh, events tab on your Bible app. Uh, and all of the notes and the scriptures for this message this morning will be on there as well. Uh, just log into the Bible app if you have an account. Click on the events tab and you'll be able to see uh, our uh, online bulletin there. You can get more information about the EHS course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, EHS, because that's a lot of words to say all together. Um, starting in just over a week. Along with the course, though, I'll be doing a series on Sunday mornings that tie in with the course. Now, I, want, I really want to encourage you, if you're free on Thursday nights, if you're able to, sign up and be a part of this. I believe it's going to be really groundbreaking for our church, especially as we move into a new season with a new name. Uh, and what God wants to establish is kind of a baseline or a foundation for us moving forward. And this course uh, and, and the book that goes along with it really will form the basis of our discipleship process moving forward. Uh, OSL will still continue to be a part of that as well, but really building something that addresses the whole person and speaks to uh, all of our needs. Someone was uh, talking to someone about uh, being emotionally healthy, and, and uh, you know, I said, every one of us needs to become more emotionally healthy, and, and every one of us at some point struggles with emotional health. And the reason I can say that so emphatically is we all interact with other people, right? At some point, someone has hurt you, said something to you, influenced your life in a way that wasn't healthy and good. And so this course just helps us to get a good footing. The cost is $30 for the materials, and, uh, and you can sign up online at the church website, uh, please do that this week if you can so that we can get the materials in in time for that class to start. All right. First Samuel chapter 30. How many of you, by show of hands, so I'm looking for interaction this morning. Again, I'm, I'm still in camp mode, so we're, you know, I'm around. We have 500, just over 500 high school and junior high students at camp this week, and, uh, and there's a lot of action, a lot of uh, interaction going on. How many of you in your life have had a day, a situation, 
or a plan that didn't go the way you expect, expected it to go? Every one of us, right? Every one of us at some point in our lives has had something that didn't go the way we thought it would go. In fact, I have a, a, a clip from a movie this morning. It's kind of a humorous clip uh, of, of a guy trying to impress a girl on a date, and it go, doesn't go the way he expects it to go. Check this out. Um, you know, I think it must have sucked up a diaper or something. Gross. Try it again. <laughs> you want me to call AAA? Come on around and let me hop on with you. If you break mine too, then we'll both be sitting ducks. I didn't break it, it just died. Yeah, yeah. All right, hop on. Uh, scoot back. Hitch, I'm already here. Well, yeah, but you don't know where we're going. Well, why don't you tell me, and then we'll both know. Sarah? Man, male egos. I don't know how you guys make it through the day with them. What? No, it is not my ego. I just, I don't want to ruin the surprise. You know, I think it must have sucked up a diaper or something. He wanted it to go at all. In fact, later on in the movie, he, he says the line, I, I saw that going differently in my mind. Right? There's times where we plan something out, we think the way it's going to go, and and then when it actually happens, it doesn't go the way we expect. Now, in this case, it's kind of funny, it's cute, but the reality is so often things go horribly wrong. We get a report from a doctor or a phone call from a loved one, get in an argument with our spouse or an argument with a child, someone runs away or someone's injured or even passes away tragically not the way that we expect things to go or want things to go, but so often outside of our control. And how we handle those situations is really key. See, you can't control all of the variables, right? You can't plan out your day and know exactly what's going to happen because, well, you interact with other people. And life can get messy and things can happen and you can end up at the end of the day looking back going, that's not what I thought was going to happen, and I'm not really happy with how it turned out. We can't control that, but what we can do is make, take some steps and make decisions in regards to how we will process and how we will live out our lives when things do go horribly wrong. And in the easy situations where we can laugh it off, you know, the, the, the internet is filled with videos of people failing right? Making, doing things, and, you know, especially guys on skateboards. And I don't know why it is, guys, guys, come on, right? We just do things like, okay, how hard could this be, right? How many, how many accidents, how many hospital visits have resulted in guys going, how hard could it be? Um, we can't plan it out, but we can take steps to prepare ourselves I want to share this story out of 1 Samuel chapter 30, and I want to set it up. Uh, David has been anointed king, but he's not yet king. Saul is still king of Israel, 
And, and Saul, in fact, hates David and is pursuing him and trying to take his life. Talk about your life not going the way that you expected. Samuel comes to David as a boy and anoints him and says, you're going to be the king of Israel. David later on goes and he, he's brought into the presence of Saul to, to play his instrument, to calm Saul when he has his fits of rage. Um, and so Saul, David is this calming influence in, in Saul's life. And later on, there's this guy named Goliath that David goes and he defeats and he kills him. And, and then Saul enters into this love-hate relationship, ultimately trying to pursue David and kill him. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we find David living in Philistine country. He's gone to this king named Achish, and, and he says, listen, I can't live in Israel anymore uh, Saul's going to kill me. And, and so he goes with the people that God has brought to him. Now, God, God brings David the cream of the crop. No, not really. He's hiding in a, ca in a cave in Adullam in 1 Samuel 22. And it says that first his family came and, and, and they were with him. And then this group of 400 guys shows up. And it's, the Bible says that they were depressed and that they were in debt. And that they were discouraged. And they came to him and said, would you become our leader? Not the, the army, I'm sure, that David was hoping for. Lord, would you pre please bring me an army that is just downtrodden. And it just has incredible debt. And, and just don't know how they're going to make it through the day. Lord, could you bring me that army? No, that was, I'm sure it was not his prayer. Yet these are the people that come to David. And it says he became their leader, and then later on, another 200 are added. So David, along with his family and these 600 soldiers, take up residence in a city called Ziklag. Ziklag, kind of a cool name. Uh, and this is where they and their families and their herds and their flocks and their servants and everyone are living. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his uh, mighty men, his mighty army, have gone, are coming back from a raid. They've, they've gone and they've, they, they're, they're attacking different uh, villages and different cities within Philist the, the Philistine territory, really undermining, undermining and setting them up for later conquest when David would be king. Achish doesn't know what's going on. He's unaware. He thinks, hey, I've got David right where I want him, but David is getting stronger and stronger. They're coming back from another victory, another uh, successful raid, and they get back to Ziklag. And starting in verse 1 of chapter 30, this is what they discover. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam and Jezreel, uh, of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, for each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God.
that verse, that phrase right there has stuck with me over these last few years. It's become a favorite of mine because I just imagine what that must have looked like for David. I, I, I cannot honestly imagine coming to a place, coming home, can you, coming back to your home, coming back to my home and finding that it's been raided and burned and that my family has been taken captive. I can't, I can't even begin to fathom what that would feel like, let alone to have an entire city and all of the men that have been fighting with you to come home and find that everyone is gone. And I'm guessing that their minds immediately went to a place where they thought they're dead. Because that's what David and his men were doing when they went out and raided. They're dead. We've lost everything. It's gone. And so in the midst of this despair, and it says they wept until they had no more strength to weep. They were just completely worn out. And at that point, David's men turn on him. It's your fault. You're a leader. If you hadn't led us on this last raid, if we had only been home, this wouldn't happen. If you'd left some of us behind to protect, but you didn't, David, you knew best. And things start spiraling out of control. And David is deeply distressed because of what's happening. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. We're going to continue with this story in a few minutes, but I want to talk this morning about how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? What does it look like for you and me to be in a place where we can, in the midst of, of unexpected circumstances and, and possibly heart-wrenching and difficult circumstances to stop and encourage ourselves, as some translations say, or strengthen ourselves in the Lord? You notice it doesn't say that, that he, he called his best friend. Why? Because his best friend, Jonathan, was dead. And he didn't, he didn't go to his pastor because, well, Samuel wasn't around. For all intents and purposes, David was alone. He had nowhere else to go. So he strengthens himself in the Lord. There's four things that I want to point out out of this passage. And we'll finish the story because there's a great ending to this story here in a few minutes. So four things that we can learn from David and his experience here with the Lord and how he strengthened himself in the Lord. The first thing is this, he withdrew. He withdrew. Here's what David did and what he didn't do. He did weep bitterly. He, did, he didn't get there and go, oh, well, it's God's will. Right, Romans 8.28, he didn't have that, but if he did... Romans 8, 28, God works everything together for the good. He didn't do that, and he didn't become super Christian. You ever met a super Christian? People who are over, over-saved, right? Like you're over-saved, like, like nothing ever bad happens to you, and every, everything you say, there's like, there's a, like they've got this automatic response, and, and you just want to go, just listen, up at camp, it's one of the things we like to, to coach our, um, our cabin leaders in is, is be, be a good listener. Sometimes kids just need to talk and get things off their chest. You don't have to fix it for them. You don't have to solve it for them. You don't have to be their mom or their dad. Just, just listen. 
David wept bitterly, and it's okay to weep bitterly. Excuse me, I'm tugging on the back of my head here. Um, David wept bitterly because his heart was broken. His wives and his children and the wives and children of his men were gone. Can I just say it's okay to cry? It's okay to be, to, to be downtrodden. It's okay to, it's okay to have emotions. I, I'm, a, I'm a, an emotional guy. Um, and, and I've always, since I was a kid, I've just had a greater degree or greater share of emotion than all my friends around me. Uh, and even more than some women. And, uh, which resulted in when Megan and I were first dating, I would tear up during Hallmark commercials. And, and then she, that's not her at all. And she's just looking at me like, what is up with you? If you go see an animated movie. And I'm like trying to just be like, okay. You know, and, and my kids just chuckle at me. And a couple of them are just like me. But being an emotional guy, emotive guy, is a bit of a battle sometimes. Because, you know, there's this cultural thing like, well, God, men don't cry. Suck it up. Right? And, and you know, that's not biblical. And that's not healthy. It's okay to feel, and it's okay to cry, and it's okay to have emotions, and everyone expresses that differently, but we can't just go, well, you can't do that. You're a man, and please don't do that to your kids, because we need to express sadness and sorrow and disappointment in a healthy way. He spent time alone with the Lord. He wept, and then he spent time alone with the Lord. He got away. He withdrew from the circumstance, from the people, from the anger, from the, the burning city. He's like, I've got to just get some space. I've got to get some perspective here. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't say to the men around him, no, no, you guys, you chose to fall. He didn't engage in an argument with them. And he didn't try to encourage everyone else. Right? Oh, you listen, guys, you know, we've seen God come through before, for, come through for us before. It's going to be okay. You'll get another wife. Right? It would not have gone. They definitely would have stoned him at that point. It wouldn't done. He didn't do that. What did he do? He withdrew. He got away. Listen to me, church. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. And, and, and so many of us, we try to encourage people in the Lord or try to give them wisdom and give them uh, advice. Yet we lack the very thing that they need ourselves. And if you don't have it, you can't give it. Whatever you're giving is going to be a cheap imitation and is not going to be the best for them or for you. So David had to get away. He had to gain some perspective. Put some distance between him and, and, and himself and the situation. You know, but he's not the only one. Jesus did the same thing. In Matthew chapter 14, we read the story of, of Jesus hearing about the death of John the Baptist, his cousin. It says in verse 12 of Matthew 14, And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. That's uh, John the Baptist's disciples. And then they went and they told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. He withdrew. He was grief-stricken. His cousin was dead. 
And Jesus needed to get away, to take time away, to take a time out, to get some distance and be alone, to grieve over the death of his cousin, over something that was unexpected, something that happened that was tragic. Can I just tell you, if Jesus needed time to withdraw, so do you. And we live in a culture that's just like you muscle through. You just, come on. I spoke a few weeks ago about Sabbath, and we're going to continue talking about Sabbath and, 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 and having times throughout the day, not just once a week, but uh, throughout the day, these stations during your day where you stop to be in the presence of God. We get so busy and so on the go that we never get to spend time in the presence of Jesus, to just be with him. Listen, you can't hear, or rather it's difficult. I won't say you can't, but it's difficult to hear or receive from the Lord in the midst of the noise. When it's noisy around you, you can't hear well. It's like trying to tune, right, the old, old radios where you actually had to turn the knob and, you, you know, you're like just trying to get it perfect so you can hear the station and get the static out. Withdrawing is like tuning into the Lord and getting alone. And it can be for five minutes or two minutes or five days. It doesn't matter. Whatever it needs to be for you, but withdraw. When things don't go the way you expected them to go, don't just jump into fix-it mode. Stop, pull back, and gain some perspective. What is noise? People can be noise, right? And I'm not saying just noisy people, but people in your midst, being in the presence of people can, can generate noise and distraction, anything that pulls us away. Technology, definitely noise, definitely noise. I was on a mission strip in Kenya and, and seeing how the world is really getting smaller. Um, you know, you think about Kenya being such a different place and in so many ways it is. But I walked out of the church uh, there in Nairobi, and I looked over to the left, and there was a group of about eight teenagers sitting next to the church. And you know what they were all doing? They were all on their smartphones. And I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm in Africa, yet the youth here and the youth in the U.S. are becoming more alike in the distractions. And man, I love technology, and I love uh, the, 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 the convenience it affords and the things that we're able to do with it. But we have to recognize that the enemy will use that as a tactic to bring noise and distraction into our lives. In those moments where I could withdraw and spend a few minutes with Jesus instead of playing Candy Crush, right? Or Pokemon, hello? And I'm not saying I love playing Candy Crush, and that's okay. I enjoy the game. I haven't got into Pokemon yet, but we'll see. But I know there's times where I'm doing that instead of being in the presence of Jesus. We need to get away from the noise, away from the tempers, away from the anger, away from the adrenaline, away from the stress. Just say, I'm going I'm, I'm to step away for a minute. I'm going to withdraw. And you can really read into withdraw in a negative sense. I'm not saying like an internal withdrawal, but physically removing yourself and saying, I just need a couple of minutes to think, to gain some perspective. It's one of the things I actually love about camp. It's one of the reasons that's so incredibly impactful is kids that live 
noisier and noisier lives end up in a place where they're physically active, eating regularly, and spending time in the presence of Jesus. Last night, we had a worship service, about an hour and a half straight worship, kids praying for kids, breakthrough, healing, deliverance, empowering with the Holy Spirit, 600 people in this room, and it was hot, and it was muggy, and it really didn't smell good, and no one cared because the, the presence of God was so heavy in the place. When's the last time you spent an hour and a half just worshiping Jesus? And it doesn't have to be on a mountaintop, but it's nice to get these kids. why we love camp. We get these kids away, and there's breakthrough that happens in the presence of the Lord. Distance gives you perspective distance gives you perspective and if you're so close you can't see what's going on you might need to step back and gain a little bit bit of perspective second thing is this praise so withdraw and then praise to praise God that was the mark of David's life in fact we have most of the psalms many of the psalms were the result of David praising the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances, in times when things didn't go according to plan. And I want to just tell you, I mean, you read about David's life and over and over and over and over again, okay, maybe today's the day that nothing will go sideways. Nothing will go wrong. But you read Samuel, you know, 1st, 2nd Samuel and Chronicles and all of that. David's life was a series of, oh my goodness, I'm up against something again, again and over and over and over and over and over again. But David's life was marked with praise. Psalm 22, verse 1 through 5. David writes this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've heard those words somewhere else, right? Jesus quotes this psalm from the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Oh man, he is in anguish, and he is struggling. And you can just tell this is raw, and it is real. There's nothing fake, right? Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm good, praise the Lord, brother. And you're like, I actually know that your life is, is not going that well. Things are falling apart. You're not helping yourself by just faking it. And you can go to the other extreme where every, everything out of your, your mouth is just like, oh, woe is me. But it's this, it's okay to be real. It, you have permission in this place to be real. If you need to weep in the midst of worship, can I just tell you, please do it. No one's going to be looking and going, oh, what's up with them? We're, we, we come to this place to, to be in the presence of the Lord together. And if he brings breakthrough, let's let it happen. It's okay to be real. But see, David doesn't stop there. He's like, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is the reality of what's going on in my life. I don't know where you are in this. And I'm crying out to you, and I'm not really getting an answer. And then he continues, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. 
To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. God, I don't know what's happening right now, and I can't wrap my head around it, but here's what I do know. You are worthy of my praise. You sit enthroned as God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And even though I don't know what's happening, you're still there. You're still enthroned. You're still God, and you're still faithful. Praise is like a huge reset button for our soul. It's not the default setting, by the way. We don't go there automatically. We have to choose to go there. But God, in the midst of the storm, I will praise you. Right? We sing that song, I will praise you in the storm and I will lift my hands, which is nice to sing on Sunday morning. But on Monday morning, sitting in traffic late for work, I don't know if we'd characterize that as praises so much, right? I will praise you in the storm. Why? Because when I praise, it's like hitting this reset button that reminds me of who God is. Knowing this, that the moment that things go wrong, Satan begins to cast doubt and fear into the mix. To pull our eyes off of God, to distract us from who he is, his character, his might, his love, his awesomeness. Singing the praises of God out loud. And, and I think that's really key. You can praise the Lord in your mind. But here's what I know from Scripture. Is Satan does not have the ability to read your thoughts. He's, he's a created being and he, doesn't, he, he can suggest. But he is not omniscient like God. And when we praise out loud, when we declare the glory of God in the name of Jesus, the Bible says that he must flee. So singing his praise out loud will bring focus, bring into focus and clarity his might in the midst of my situation. We sing about magnifying the Lord, right? Oh, magnify the Lord. What does that mean? It means that I pull back in my perspective, right? I take the, the, I withdraw so that I can press back in and see God in the midst of the circumstance. When I magnify him in my life, in my circumstance, I start seeing through his eyes and his perspective and things make better sense. My heart is then able to process and go, oh, okay, this is not good but I can see how the Lord is working in this. And he becomes bigger in my perspective, right? When you magnify something, that's all you can see. When I magnify the Lord, I don't make him bigger. What I'm saying is I draw closer and he fills my periphery. He's all that I see. When we praise, we remember who he is, his awesomeness, his power. His love, his compassion, and his faithfulness. And we need to be reminded. We need to remind ourselves. We're also reminded of what he, what he has done. Salvation. When's the last time you just simply said to God, thank you for saving me? Right? Thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. 
Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for your ever, uh, your, your everlasting kindness and your goodness to me. Thank you for that time you did this and the time you did that. And I love that, you know, Megan and I just, we love to recount the stories of what God has done in our lives. And it seems like, you know, we'll come up to a situation. In fact, just this last week, you know, we've been praying about we need another car because we, we now have an extra driver with another one on the way here pretty soon. And we're going, okay, Micah's going to be at home. He needs a car to drive. And, you know, Lord, okay, we just, we don't have money for a car. We're going to trust that you provide. And a friend of us called this week and said, hey, we got our daughter a new car. We have this car. It's an SUV. It's really nice. It's, it's a little older, but not, it's newer than actually both the other cars we have. And they said, listen, you can have it for whatever you can pay. And however long it takes, you just let us know. And the Lord just provides. And here's the cool thing. This is the thing that chokes me up. My wife has wanted a moonroof in a car. And this car has a moonroof. God is faithful. He is faithful. And if we don't take time to praise him, we won't remember his faithfulness. We'll just be stuck in the moment. You've heard the hymn, probably, most of us, It Is Well With My Soul. Powerful, powerful hymn. I don't know if you know, though, who wrote it and when he wrote it and why he wrote it. It was written in 1873 by a man named Horatio Spafford, who lived in Chicago, worked in Chicago, and this is right in the, the time of the, uh, the great Chicago fire. And him and his family had planned a trip to Europe, and... Uh, and because of the fire, he ended up sending his wife and four daughters ahead of him uh, to Europe. And he said, I've got work to do. I'll catch up with you. Well, as they made the crossing across the Atlantic, their ship collided with another ship and it sank. And all four of his daughters died in that, in that uh, sinking. His wife survived and she telegrammed him from Europe. And she just simply said, alone saved or saved alone. This man was crushed. His four beautiful daughters. He got on a ship to go and meet his wife, and he'd asked the ship captain, let me know when we get to the place when my daughters died. And when they got to that place, he wrote this hymn. I'm not going to put the words on the screen because I'd like you to just close your eyes and listen. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a long hymn. But in light of why he wrote it, listen to these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to, to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And the last verse, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend with song in the night, O my soul. I don't know if I could have done that. But I guarantee you this. This didn't happen just because Horatio happened to be at that place at that time. These words are the result of a man who lived this reality, who had an eternal perspective. And in that place, standing on the edge of that ship, looking out into the ocean, knowing that his daughters had perished there to say, Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise his name, that heaven, not the grave, is the goal. Now make no mistake, this man was hurting. He was hurting. He wasn't faking it. I imagine these words were penned through amazing tears. Even this morning, over a hundred years later, looking around the room, sorry we should have provided <laughs> tissues today. When we praise the Lord, things come into perspective. Third thing is this, we need to inquire. How many of you have ever made an emotional decision? Come on, just say it, yeah. Usually it's a purchase, right? I go to the store and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> look what they have. My wife, the voice of reason, goes, nope. She goes, do we have the money? Well, nope, nope. We make emotional decisions. In fact, we say things out of emotion quite often that we regret. I probably say more things out of emotion that I regret than I don't regret. Because when we make emotional decisions, we usually make the wrong decision. We're not thinking clearly, especially when things have gone wrong, when things are painful. And we just jump into action and we just start doing just to stay busy or to, to keep our hands going or to, to not focus or to ignore the issue or deal with the problem. And so we just get into this mode and we don't, we're not thinking clearly. And what we don't do quite often is stop and go, God, what would you do? And what do you want me to do? And what do you want me to say? And how would you like me to respond in this situation? Which, if you've not withdrawn and you've not praised him and put him in his rightful place, you're not going to get to the inquiring part. And so there's this process that needs to happen so you can come to a place of saying, okay, God, I don't know. I'm out of options. I don't know how to handle this. I just simply need your wisdom. And then the Bible says he gives it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? There's no caveats, there's no ifs, ands, or just if you need wisdom, ask. Solomon, God comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, what do you want? And he says, God, I want wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for riches and wealth and possessions, I'll give you the wisdom and I'll give you those other things. Wisdom. Read the book of Proverbs. In fact, it's, it's been a part of our reading, our, our solid life reading this last week. And every day I pick up my Bible and I read the Proverbs and I'm like, oh, that hurt. Oh, man. Because, because I'm, I'm reading about what I should have done. I can apply it to situations where I was like, oh, I could have used that. And God's like, I had it available to you. You didn't ask. David in this story, after he's done weeping and after everyone wants to kill him and after he's withdrawn and he's strengthened himself in the Lord, he comes back and in verse 7, this is what happens. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now, if it was my family, I probably wouldn't stop and ask God. I would have been down the road already because it's my family. But because David had strengthened himself in the Lord, he was able to stop and say, Okay, Lord, what should I do? Because he had seen the Lord be faithful in answering that question before. Lord, what should I do? And God says, go for it. Go after them and you will rescue. You will overtake them and you will rescue completely. Another translation says that this will be a complete and total, a full rescue. Which leads me to my last point. Claim. So withdraw, praise, inquire, and then claim. Claim what? The promises of God. The promises of God. See, when you ask of the Lord and He speaks, no one can stand against that. When we lived in a travel trailer with our family for a year and a half, four kids in a 25-foot tra travel trailer without any slide-outs. Um, <laughs> and people said, how could you do that with your family? Just like that kind of, that's not responsible. You know what the simple answer was? We know, not just me, we know as a family that this is what God has called us to. There's no doubt in my mind, in my wife's mind, or even in any of our kids, we knew this is what God had spoken to us. So it didn't matter what the arguments or accusations were because we had sought the Lord, we had inquired of the Lord and then claimed those promises and we, were, and we had an amazing time living in that little travel trailer and got to do 35,000 miles in one year through 13 states. One of Blake's teachers, before we even left Alaska, he told her, told her what we were going to do. And she said, well, aren't you going to miss having a backyard? And I love Blake. He's our witty kid. He goes, well, the whole country will be my backyard. 
Because when you inquire of the Lord, you're equipped to claim the promises of God. David continues here in 1 Samuel 30, 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land. These are the ones that had come and raided their city, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, son or daughter, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought all uh, brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Nothing missing. Everything redeemed. Everything reclaimed, plus extra, plus more. And it's interesting here that the, the people now are going, this is David's spoil. They're celebrating the guy they just wanted to stone the day before. And remember this, it says that they fought from twilight until evening the next day. But remember, David and his men had just gotten home from doing what? From fighting in battle. In fact, out of the 600 in, in, the, in the in-between part there, 200 of them are just too exhausted to keep going. And David goes, that's okay. We'll take the 400, the other, the 400 that are left and we will go. And, then, and continue reading the story because it's really neat. Uh, a story of honor and how David honors even that 200. But David claims the promise. God says, you will overtake them and you will get everything back. And David led his men in confidence because he trusted the promises of God. See, when you withdraw from whatever the circumstance is, and you praise the name of the Lord, and you inquire of Him, you're able to take a stand. Now, it doesn't mean that everything will automatically be fixed. Remember, they had to go back to a city that had been burned to the ground. There was still some loss. There were things that needed to get repaired. And this is not just flowers and daisies and, you know, you know leaping through the field. No, it's, it can be hard. But the reality is, is that God's words stand, his promises are true, and you can claim them, lay a hold of them, and no one can take them from you. David strengthened himself in the Lord. I think as a culture, we've come to rely very heavily on others. The latest book the latest teaching, the latest speaker who's on the radio, what my friends are listening to, what my friends would say, what's their opinion. And don't get me wrong, there's wisdom in counsel. But, but that counsel has to be tempered. We have to hear from the Lord. And, and can I just tell you, church, today, God wants to speak to you directly. He doesn't need to speak through someone else to you. And he will give us words for each other and words of encouragement for each other. But at the end of the day, he wants to speak to you directly because he loves you that much. But we need to take the time to pull back, to praise his name, to hear from him, and then to claim those promises. 
I don't know what's going on in your life. Where you're at, what you're struggling with, what's maybe even happened this week or maybe even this morning that came as a surprise that you would characterize as didn't see it going in that way in my mind. And maybe this has been a good week and maybe there's been very little. But I know for every one of us at some point, something has gone sideways, something has gone wrong. And because of the world that we live in, that in the future, there will be things that happen. How will we respond? Let's follow the example of David and let's strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And definitely stand together. But when we can be in this place, in such a reality, just like Horatio, where it just becomes the norm, when the surprises pop up, they won't take our breath away. They won't knock us down. We'll already be in that place where we can say, okay, Lord, give me perspective. Give me wisdom so I can move forward. Can we stand together? Father, this morning...